They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello everyone and welcome to the Wednesday morning of the Sports Desk on Tim. I'm Kendra and I'm joined with April and Tom. How are we today, guys? I'm all right. Um, we'll get to it, Kendra, but I'm a bit disappointed after the Dreamtime game. Oh, yeah, I'm very happy after that game. It was a good game, but yeah, we will definitely get to it. How are you, Tom? I'm very good. Carlton, uh, you know, nice easy win, not easy win, but a nice win against the Suns and, you know, sitting 10th at the moment, still in finals contention. So I'm definitely very happy this week as well. How are you, Kendra? Yes, I'm good. So we're both in good moods and I don't think April's in such a great mood, but that's okay. We'll start off with the AFL results. So round 13, we had Gold Coast and Carlton. Carlton was 60 to Gold Coast, which was 27. Then we had Bulldogs versus Melbourne. The Bulldogs won 80 to 52. Port Adelaide won over Hawthorne, 68 to 58. Then we had the Dreamtime match, which was Richmond versus Essendon, and Richmond won 73 to 61. Fremantle versus Sydney, we had Fremantle win with 50 to 19. Adelaide versus Geelong, we had Geelong win 65 to 37. Then we had on Sunday, Brisbane versus St Kilda. Brisbane won 50 to 48. And then we also had West Coast and GWS. So West Coast won 61 to 49. And lucky last, Collingwood versus North Melbourne. Collingwood won 65 to 36. A good bounce back win there by Collingwood. I think we'll start with the most recent game. Um, well, obviously, last week we talked a bit about how disappointing Collingwood had been recently and how they were starting to slip down the ladder and put in a few poor performances. So they'll be pretty pleased to have bounced back with that win over North, I think. Yeah, I think it's a lucky time to play North Melbourne for them as well. A couple of injuries, not the best form. Um, sucks for me because we're playing them next week. So, you know, it would have been nice if they had lost. But, you know, it, it is good for the Collingwood supporters to see a, a win and it's probably the best time for them to play North to get a bit of confidence up. But, you know, again, hopefully we ruin that confidence next week and we and we beat them, which would be very nice. We know how you feel about Collingwood after last week's episode. Exactly. Sure, so you are very excited. <laughs> exactly. And then I guess most of the results this week were pretty convincing, except for the Brisbane St Kilda game with a two-point margin. And, you know, as we've been seeing all year, Brisbane have been shocking in front of goal, kicking 6-14 again. You know, really poor, you know, poor uh, scoring for Brisbane. And it's definitely something they're going to have to work on coming into finals, you'd think. Yeah, they're very lucky to get away with the win there. I mean, obviously, they've sort of dominated the match and dominated the scoring opportunities. But to only kick six goals um, from, oh, quick maths here, 20 scoring opportunities um, is not a very good record. I mean, St Kilda kicks 7-6, so not... Um, wildly more impressive from them as well but really Brisbane should have run away with that yeah and you can see that in the Carlton game as well on Friday night kicking 7-18 you know Carlton should have kicked away should have won by 10 goals and 
you know, you're taking away, you're missing these opportunities and you're keeping your opponent in the, in the game. And, you know, for someone like Carlton who were trying to get a final spot, that's something that's definitely going to need to be fixed in the next couple of weeks if we're looking at, at a chance of making finals at all. You know, if we're kicking like that, there's not, you know, we're not going to make it. So definitely something to look for. Um, just a, a quick question though. How, how good is it to see footy back in Darwin? Like, I know if you're both uh, Richmond and Essendon supporters, would you be happy if the uh, Dreamtime game was in Darwin every year or would you like it to be in Melbourne? No, I reckon it should stay in Darwin. I thought that, like, that was by far the best Dreamtime match I've ever seen. I don't know what you think about it, April, but, yeah, I loved it because, like, I thought it's where it belonged and, yeah, it looked really good to see. A lot of, um, also a lot of, like, Indigenous supporters in the stands, like, supporting their teams. I thought that was really good. And, yeah, I reckon keep it in Darwin for sure. I agree. I thought it was fantastic. Um, like you mentioned, the Indigenous Australian fans in the crowd, like you could see how excited they were in the game. And it was probably also exciting to see, particularly because this year we haven't seen many crowds. So it was um, on top of that, it was extra exciting to see supporters there just loving the game. Um, I think it was fantastic in Darwin. I don't know if you guys noticed the sky, like the sunset was so beautiful and a lovely backdrop for it. Um, and I've talked a bit about the heat and humidity for the players, but I think that's worth it for um, the overall spectacle of the game. So I, I definitely hope they keep it up there. Yeah, it'd be very nice. And it'd be nice to get multiple games up there every year for um, the Sir Doug Nichols round as well. So you get like a Friday game, Saturday game, Sunday game. So you get three um, three games, six teams going up there every year. I reckon it could be a, a really good spectacle, a regular round to, to look for for the future. I think as well, like I'm not a supporter who would usually attend the Dreamtime match in Melbourne. So maybe that sort of weighs into my um, wanting it to go to Darwin. But I think as well, like I think you would get a lot of fans who would make the trip up for the game and would want to be a part of the whole event up there. And and I imagine that would be good as well because then more people are going up to Darwin and seeing what it's all about up there. And I, I really think it's just a win-win all around. I definitely think it's a better investment uh, going up to Darwin than going to China or New Zealand. So I uh, would definitely prefer the AFL move, moving more games up to Darwin and spending more money there, you know, building a bigger stadium, investing more in the youth system and everything going up there. Like as a, as a supporter, I'm happy to lose a home game up in Darwin because it just feels like it's doing something for the game and helping so many people rather than going to China or New Zealand. I don't, I like, I, I don't agree with that sort of stuff and I'd be upset if my team was losing a home game and I'm losing out watching them if they're going overseas like that. But going to Darwin, I just makes, you know, I just, I like the, the feeling over going to Darwin. It, it, it's a spectacle over there and it's just awesome. I agree. Um, let's move now to a bit of the controversy out of the Dreamtime match. I'm quite bitter over all of this because Essendon, in my opinion, should have won um, but Kendra, I'll let you have your say on it as well. But the things we want to discuss are, of course, um, two Richmond players being fined for staging for free kicks. And um, we'll get to this as well, but it's more of a two-week issue with Lynch. Um, uh, I don't know if I can say punching because he was let off now. But um, anyway, Lynch being let off by the tribunal this week. For contact, yes. Um, yeah. The staging, like Richmond players were fined $750 for staging. I have to say, even though it was my own team and they did get off on the first bit, I think that they are very good actors and I think that they, after their football, they want to try out the home and away or something because their acting was spot on if you see it slowed down. Like, I was amazed at, like, their facial expressions and anything. So, 100%, they 
I reckon deserved the fine. What do you think? Look, I think um, I, I agree. I, I think the staging was pretty clear when you watch the video after. Um, I think the fine isn't very significant for um, and isn't really going to be much of a deterrent to not do it. Like, I don't think $750 is a huge amount of money for an AFL player. I also think, though, you can't put too much blame on the players necessarily because I, I feel like at the end of the day, it's the umpires who are meant to be noticing this at the time. They're the ones who should be stopping this from happening during the game. And if the umpires aren't doing that, can you really get that annoyed at a player for sort of taking advantage of a loophole in the system? Yeah, if you have the umpires that aren't calling it out, you're obviously going to get more and more players doing it because they can they see other people doing it, getting free kicks for it. They're trying to help their team out. You know, it's understandable that they're doing it. This is where the AFL needs to come in. If they don't want it to happen, not give them a $750 fine, give them a $1,500 fine or, you know, suspend them for a week and it'll completely stop it from happening again. Yeah, I mean, just going on that point about, like, you know, can you blame them? I think that they just need to show, like, a bit of integrity when it comes to this sort of stuff. Like, if you're stating, like, being hurt, what happens to people who are, like, genuinely actually getting hurt and then, you know, you have umpires who think that they're just staging and then, you know, they, you know, it's unfair in their favour. So that's why I reckon that all these players, like, they just don't do it. Like, it's just wrong. It's going against, like, sportsmanship of the game. So I reckon, yeah, you just got to show integrity when it comes to playing your sport. And we know this kind of thing is a big issue in soccer, especially, and it's sort of, it's almost become part of the game in soccer, um, but it does put a lot of people off that sport and we don't want to see that happening in AFL. Now, let's move on to chat about Richmond's Tom Lynch, who on Monday night was found not guilty of striking Essendon's Michael Hurley during the Dreamtime match. What do you guys think of the tribunal's decision? Um, and do you think um, they've sent the right message? I don't think they've sent the right message, but I think this decision matches the act, if that makes sense. Like they were both going at it. I understand you don't really need to do it. It's sort of blown out of proportion because of the previous weeks of what Tom Lynch has done, which he probably should have been suspended the previous weeks instead, and you wouldn't be having this discussion. But that was more of a, you know, a game incident. They're all, they're both going at each other. Hurley was trying to hit Lynch's uh, injured hand and they're both going at it like, you know, it's just in the game. They're just trying to get it, get at each other's nerves, get an edge. And it wasn't taken too far this instance. But as we've seen previously, Lynch has taken it a bit too far. Um, Kendra, as a Richmond supporter, what are you? What are your thoughts on these? Oh, I'm being such a fence sitter on this one. Um, like the way I've seen it with Tom Lynch is that the players have really been sort of egging him on and trying to sort of stir him up. But I think he just needs to really keep the focus on the game and not get so involved with like, you know, punching them back or whatever he's doing with his open hand or whatever. Because at the end of the day, you're losing focus on playing the sport to the best of your ability. And I think that you just need to like, yeah, block them all out. This should be a good exercise in just mental focus and trying to stay, stay on track and help your team. Yeah, I guess a problem with this now is because he's done it four weeks in a row now, you're going to, every defender for the rest of the season is going to be doing the exact same thing, trying to get a reaction out of him. So it's something he needs to stop it for a week or two, just try and compose himself, have, you know, just, just try and, you know, not do that because if he continues doing this, one of these days he is going to hit someone a bit higher, a bit harder, and he will be suspended for a couple of weeks. And, you know, it could, it could potentially cost him a final, cost him a finals game or, you know, you don't want it to be happening in a prelim and then he loses out on the grand final. So you got to stop it now and then people will stop doing it to him. 
Well, we are nearing the end of the AFL season at the moment. So we'll take a quick look at how the ladder is standing after round 13. We've got Port Adelaide still sitting on top of the ladder in first. Brisbane are in second after that close win over the Saints. Geelong are in third. West Coast in fourth. Kendra, Richmond are in fifth. (laughs) St Kilda in sixth. Collingwood seventh. Bulldogs eighth. And then the... Other notable teams to mention, we've got Carlton in 10th and Essendon in 12th. Yeah, the top eight's looking, you know, you could probably argue that it won't change that much, the top eight. Like the positions in the top eight might change around, but the top eight itself, you know, you could probably have an argument that it's not going to change that much. The Bulldogs, maybe, they're sitting a game above Melbourne, Carlton and the Giants at the moment, all on 24 points. So, the Bulldogs could potentially drop out and one of those three teams could easily pop in. You would think Melbourne and the Giants, maybe if they get some form going into the last couple of weeks, would jump in. Um, but again, Carlton, I don't know. You get a couple of couple of wins. Of the next four games, I think we can win three of them. The only game I'm concerned about is the Brisbane game. And if the top eight comes down to it, I'm not I'm not convinced we'll, we'll win that game to get into the top eight. But, you know, it's something we'll have to watch out and see for. I think Carlton are going to sneak in. I actually think they do. Yes. Like you've seen, like, you just see glimpses of Carlton this season. They've had glimpses of playing really, really well. So I reckon they're just going to do it. They're going to sneak in. Uh, I'm all for it. It's yes, my prediction, please. you know. Yes. So I reckon they're going to do it. They're going to knock one of them. One of, one of the regular teams, they're just going to knock them straight out. Nice. I will take that. Well, imagine if we play a Richmond first round, eighth versus fifth, if you finish fifth. Oh, first round in the finals. Ooh. That'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like what happened it, last but, um, time we did that. <laughs> like it, but yeah, nah. They, they're going to knock someone out. Hopefully not Richmond, but they, they're going to do it. <laughs> All right. On FM, on DAB+, and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin, where young people run the show. Okay, so to continue our AFL chat, but move on to a few other issues that are In the sport in general, um, Richmond have announced that they're not going to be fielding a VFLW team for the 2021 season. Um, We're focusing a lot on Richmond on today's show. Not sure why that is. They're just (laughs) popping into the the news left, right and centre. What do you guys think of this decision? You know, it definitely sucks that they're losing out on the VFLW team. But, you know, it was probably a decision to ensure that they have the AFLW program continue. Uh, you know, it, it's definitely disappointing, but you have seen that with AFL clubs as well. You know, Carlton recently have been with the Northern Blues because we haven't had enough uh, sufficient funds to make our own VFL team. And recently we are going to be doing that. But, you know, a lot of the teams don't have enough funds to support their own VFL team compared to the AFL team. So hopefully in the future, um, the Richmond women's team, hopefully they, ha- they do uh, get enough money to get back to the VFL. But for the moment, I guess, it just seems like they're doing it to ensure that the AFL team is staying above board. Yeah, I definitely think it's something that they had to do because we obviously they want to prioritise the AFL women's. But thing is, like, it would be really hard for some of the players that have missed out this year. And if, say, for example, they've only got like one year, two year contracts, it might be the it might have been the only sort of shot at playing in a VFL side. So I think that that could be very like hard for some of the players. But at the end of the day, you know, if you've got to try and support the AFL before VFL. Yeah, I agree. I think this is um, going to be a tough decision for all those sort of like fringe players and young players as well who are trying to work up through the VFLW to get into that AFLW team. Um, they're not going to have that opportunity to do that and to prove themselves in sort of the 
the second level to get up to that top tier. But I guess at the end of the day, it is good that they're focusing on the AFLW. Um, there's a statement from the club which says that they've made the, the decision to focus their resources and energies on delivering a high-quality AFLW program in 2021 and beyond. So it's good at least that they're not, um, like, scrapping the women's program or anything like that. They've just decided that they need to narrow it down to focus um, and to really make it the best that it can be. Yes, and then I guess more news out of the VFL. Um, the Waffle, oh, sorry, the Neeful has um, folded and they're going to be merging with the VFL. So the clubs in Queensland, New South Wales and Victoria will now be allowed to field either a standalone team or they can align with an existing second tier club. Or if they don't want to do either of those, they can just spread their AFL list of players among uh, multiple second tier uh, teams. So again, it seems like the NEFL is has been struggling a little bit with funds. And I guess after the pandemic as well, um, limited footy, it's not exactly an AFL state either in Queensland or New South Wales. So, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have these teams um, in a greater competition now. It just sucks that it's only going to be in Victoria, I guess. I wonder whether this is going to see a drop off in the amount of players, um, the players who would have been taking part in the NEFL, whether some are just going, going to give it up because they, they don't want to have to commit to the travel and stuff now for the second tier competition. Obviously the players who are in it, who are pushing for AFL or in an AFL team will do it. But for the other players who that's sort of their focus, I wonder whether we will see a drop off of players. Yeah, that's a good point, especially, yeah, travel and after, you know, travel restrictions with um, COVID, this is going to be very hard for those interstate players. Also, just even, like, leaving your family behind up, up in, like, Queensland to come down, like, it is a big commitment, especially if you are playing in, like, a VFL league. Like, I think they would definitely make the travel if they were in AFL, but this is because it's that sort of lower competition level. A lot of them will probably, like, yeah, question whether it is actually worth to make the trip for this sort of competition level. And it's interesting, you know, is the AFL potentially uh, putting in motion a way or a starting point in making a proper second tier league combined with everyone in Australia rather than just VFL, Waffle, Neeful, Sandful, all those uh, different state leagues? Maybe potentially we can get a nationwide competition and have a proper second tier league with everybody. You know, that way it, it becomes more of a professional game, the second tier rather than amateurs, you know, it. And I reckon it could be really cool to have a second tier and you get, I reckon you get so many more fans participating and I reckon it could be really a really cool spectacular spectacle as well. Yeah, that's actually like a really good point. Maybe because, you know, AFL isn't as popular in like, yeah, like those other states. So maybe this could be a way to get so many more people involved and really like grow the sport in a way. Yep. And then I guess uh, last bit of news as well, uh, the Next Gen Academies are being implemented by the AFL as well. Uh, which means there's more investment to be boosted for clubs in the Northern Academies, which is good for team, for academies in the NT, you know, greater WA, that sort of stuff. And the talent pathway as well for the under 16s and under 18 programs is actually being changed uh, to under 17s and under 19s. So all the young recruits will be playing in different age groups now. Uh, however, the draft age is going to stay at 18. So I presume if you don't get drafted at 18, you can still play in that under-19 league and potentially get drafted the year after as well. 
I think this is a good idea because, you know, more and more we're seeing, and this is obviously part of the conversation um, in people wanting to raise the draft age to 19, um, is that we are seeing a lot of players develop their potential later on. And, you know, it's only one year, so it's not going to make a massive difference, but some players just aren't ready for it at 18. Um, They've got finishing school and a lot of other things on as well. So some players might really thrive in, being able to have a year after they turn 18 and after they finish school just to like focus on their footy and then be drafted after that year. And I think it could be really beneficial for a lot of players coming through. Exactly. And it raises the argument, you know, are we going to see the draft age raised now to 19? You know, the AFL has now upped the, um, the, the pathway to under 19's level for the boys and girls. So potentially in the future, we might see the draft age increase to 19. I'm all for that as well. I reckon it's definitely a better option for these young players to come into the league a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and you're going to see less players drop off like we have in the previous years. Yeah, and especially from this year, we've seen a lot of like players who have been like you know playing for the VFL for a few years and have come in to debut like late, a bit older, like quite a few um, players, and they've actually done like really well. I know from Richmond, like Jack Arts, he's an older player, but he came in and he's already doing really well. So I don't think that if you've missed at eighteen, your career's over. You just need that extra bit of development. Sin, where young people run the show. Good news for the Australian Olympic team. Uh, We were talking about this last week, but Jess Hull, she has officially qualified for her first ever Olympics debuting in Tokyo for next year, which is incredible uh, to see as well. We also had uh, multiple runners in Stuart McSewan and race walker Jemima Montag. They will also make their debut in Tokyo um, along with... uh, Barber and Bird Smith making their second games, which is just incredible to see. And, you know, congratulate everyone that's made it so far and has been chosen for the Olympics. Yeah, this obviously comes off last week. We discussed Jessica Hull had set a new Australian record for the 5,000 metres. So clearly she's in a fantastic form. And it's good to see that that's been immediately recognised. Um, you know, we're still sort of 11 months out from from the Tokyo Games. Um, So I guess now these athletes can just set their minds to preparing for that and making sure they're primed for when the postponed Olympics do take place. Yeah, and I definitely think these athletes who have got another year of development are definitely gonna go to Tokyo um, in really good like form when they do. Yeah, our athletics crop is looking really nice and I'm expecting big things from the Aussies next year. In other athletics news, sort of, um, Usain Bolt has tested positive to coronavirus. Um, he's been partying, I think, so we could probably presume that's where he's picked it up from. Um, but it's just another, uh, he's not so much of an athlete anymore, but we did um, talk about Nishikori testing positive and we've had a few elite athletes start to test positive. So he's another one to add to that list. And it just goes to show, again, just another reminder that really like no one is immune to it. Anyone can catch it. Yeah, it was at his birthday party as well. You know, <laughs> he mustn't have cared that much. He must have just wanted all his friends over, celebrated. And yeah, you know, and anyone can catch it. So everyone be careful out there. All right, now to cycling news. The 2020 Tour de France is starting this Saturday, 29th of August to Sunday, the 20th of September. April, would you like to talk us through this? I sure would. I'm so excited for the Tour de France to kick off. I love it every year. Normally it's in July, so 
a month or so later, but it's so exciting that it's been able to happen. Um, so yeah, it's kicking off this Saturday. It'll be Saturday night for us here in Melbourne. Um, the first stage is just a flat stage pretty much in Nice and they're just sort of doing a lap. So I think they're doing three loops of a sort of little track through Nice, um, which would be fantastic for, I think they're still going to have spectators there, um, mostly because they can't really stop anyone because it's just going around the streets. Um, but I'll definitely be watching from home. So I'm, I'm super excited for it. Yeah, it's a very different looking uh, Tour de France this year. And especially with no Gabriel Gatto as well for the food uh, beforehand. Uh, instead, we have Guillaume Brahimi in the Plat de Tour. So definitely going to be checking that one out every night instead. He's got big shoes to fill. Yeah, I'm so excited for the Tour de France. I love watching it. But like, I really love watching it just to see the countryside. I hope that it's not, it doesn't change too much because like, honestly, I love seeing the mountains and all the spectators coming to the front line and really cheering on. I think that really adds to the sport. So fingers crossed, not a lot changes with how they go about uh, how many spectators they're allowing and how much the course changes. Yeah, I haven't read too much about what their exact plans are for the year. I think it'll be interesting to see when we get to like some of those mountain stages and stuff where we're used to seeing hordes of people packing the the route of the course as they go up the mountain. Um, I imagine they'll have some restrictions on that, so it won't be quite the same. But in terms of all the scenery and stuff, that's all still going to be there. Um, so if if that's the main thing you're watching for, I think you will not at all be disappointed by that. Yeah, well, it's also the fact that it's because it's such a grueling endurance race. It's really good to see how these athletes pull out each day. Like each day they've got to tackle some enormous mountain. And I think that's really cool to watch. So yeah, not just the scenery, but mainly the scenery is why I watch it. Well, next on next week's episode, we'll be able to recap the first few days of the tour. So we'll be settling in to watch that from this Saturday. And hopefully you all do as well at home. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. So big news out of a Australian boxing. Uh, we do have tonight the Horn versus Sisu fight. Uh, the press conference was on Monday, I believe, and Sisu actually came in at 70.5 kilos, whereas Horn came in at 72.1, which is really low for Sisu. Uh, Horn seems to have slimmed down, got a bit faster, he has come out saying he is going to be 75 kilos come fight time, which is a big jump compared to the Russian-Australian. So it'll be very interesting to see that. Horn's come out with a couple of sledges saying he's going to throw him around like a rag doll. He's too, he's too small. He's not going to be fast enough. So that's also very interesting out of that. Um, but there's a lot of ramifications out of this fight as well. You know, if Horn loses, he's potentially going to go into retirement. He's, not, he's no longer the number one Australian boxer. Um, he's, he's not guaranteed to get a title fight anymore. And same with Sisu. He's been around for a little bit. Uh, you know, if he beats Horn, he now becomes the number one Australian boxer, potentially going in for a championship fight now. But if he loses as well, he runs the risk of then, you know, not being able to climb back up the rankings in time for a championship fight. So a big fight for both boxers here. And, you know, for the loser, there's a lot of ramifications that can come from it. So on to the Super Netball now, and we have had round five and six take place since our last episode of the Wednesday Sports Desk. Um, we'll go through the round six results, which were from last weekend first. 
we had the New South Wales Swifts get up over the Collywood Magpies, 62-58. The Firebirds beat the Fever, 68-57. The Vixens got up over the Giants, 63-58. And the Sunshine Coast Lightning got up over the Adelaide Thunderbirds, 53-45. So it was a good win there by the Melbourne Vixens. And... They were expecting the Giants to um, have a pretty big game this week because during on their Wednesday um, Wednesday night game, they had one of their players controversially sent off when they took on the Sunshine Coast Lightning and they ended up losing by a point. We've got Liz Ellis here talking on Nine's Wide World of Sports about the incident. Laura Sherian goes down, but you look at it and Christiana Manoa actually doesn't really catch Laura Sherian's body. She catches the ball. So that was, though, for Andrea Booth, the umpire, the straw that broke the camel's back. Christiana Manoa sent from the court for the rest of the game. I don't know if either of you guys saw much about the, the send-off. I saw one of the incidents and I was very dumbfounded about why they were sent off. It looked like both players were going for the ball. They made contact. Um, and I know from reading all these comments from um, the commentators as well, um, even from two-time world champion Catherine Cox, she was saying, everyone's been dumbfounded about this. Um, they all 100% reckon that um, she was going for the ball and that, you know, this shouldn't have happened at all. The send-off, the, the first incident shouldn't have happened and there shouldn't have been a send-off. And, you know, it 100% undoubtedly changed the game and, you know, lost them the game. So... You know, it does suck, especially in the 200th um, Super Netball match as well. It, you know, it's something that definitely needs to be uh, talked about. Yeah, I saw, I think, both two of the um, incidents where the player was sent off. And to be honest, like, I don't, I, I'm talking from an outside perspective. I don't really know much about contact when it comes to netball, but it didn't seem like there was much intentional contact. There was one point where she was just standing and the girl ran into her and I'm not 100% sure how that's her fault but just saying that I don't know when it comes to netball about contact it, for me it just seems like they were both just two players playing the game and trying to get the ball. Yeah it seems like pretty widespread agreeance that the decision didn't make sense but nevertheless the decision did happen and so the Giants did go down to the Lightning and now they've gone down to the Vixens as well so they're that's two losses during the week. For them, um, if we look at how the ladder is standing now, though, the, the Melbourne Vixens have um, even more reaffirmed their position on top of the ladder. They're equal on 20 points with the Lightning and the Swifts, but they've got a good gap in terms of percentage um, that's keeping them on top of the ladder. To round out the top four of the ladder as well, the Thunderbirds are sitting in fourth, um, and down at the bottom of the ladder is the magpies so a bit of a tough season so far for them just before we move on got a quick nba update for everybody uh so so far three teams in the eastern conference have advanced to the second round with the miami heat sweeping the paces the celtics sweeping the 76ers and the raptors sweeping the nets and because of the loss to the celtics 76ers coach brett brown has today as we're recording this on tuesday has been sacked so big news out of Philadelphia there and, you know, something to look, look for uh, when Ben Simmons comes back from his injury. Uh, also today, uh, the Lakers, in their celebration of Kobe Bryant's birthday, they have absolutely smashed the Portland Trail Blazers to take a 2-1 lead 
in the series or three, one lead, I believe it is now in the series. So uh, the Lakers look like they are on a roll and on a mission at the moment. A couple of other close games, the Thunder beat the Rockets to even the series out at two all and the Bucks are on a roll as well and have uh, beaten the Magic to take a 3-1 lead heading into the next game to potentially uh, most likely uh, can uh, go into the second round. Who's your tip to take out the championship, Tom? Uh, I was going to say the Lakers before the restart, but they've been really shocking in the bubble. They've only started to turn it around a little bit in the last couple of games in the playoffs. I would really love the Mavericks to win a championship. I love Doncic. I love Porzingis. I love everything about them. Uh, Something weird with the Clippers. I really wanted the Clippers to do well at the start of the year, but I just really don't like them at the moment. I don't like the way they're going about it. I think they feel like they deserve a title because they've just bought in the best players in the league. Um, So... In saying that, I reckon it'll probably probably end up being anyway a Lakers and Bucks final, and I'm happy for both of those teams to win. So, we'll see okay, what that was quite a sitting on the fence answer, but we'll, yes. we'll let that go. <laughs> My team's already out, so I don't care. <laughs> yeah, turn up your radio. This is sin. All right. Lastly, before we head into our odd sport of the week, uh, we've got a little bit of horse racing news because we are. Oh, we're like we're a week away from spring, so we're heading right up towards the spring carnival. But there's some big big news out um, today when we're recording the show. One of the top, or who would have been one of the top mares um, and sprinters coming up in this spring, loving Gabby, has been shockingly retired. Um, this sort of has come out of nowhere, but Kira Ma and her ownership announced on Tuesday morning that she has got. Uh, heat and inflammation in her near four leg and they've decided to just retire her and send her off um, for a career as a broodmare so it's pretty disappointing for everyone involved that we haven't been able to see more from her she's a two-time group one winner um, she's only four years old and has had a um, only 13 races so pretty lightly raced she's won four had come second four times at group one level so been a pretty impressive horse and one that I've followed um, over her career and she's always been exciting to watch always mixed it with um, the best horses in in her races that she competes in so sad news but nevertheless she's going on to sort of a secondary career she's going to become a broodmare so be exciting to see how that goes and at the end of the day it's good that they didn't um, push the injury or do anything that could have resulted in something more serious or you know resulted in her having to be put down or anything like that so I guess we can take that as some good news and then in other news star Queensland three-year-old Rothfire has suffered a small injury setback as well and so it's been not a good morning this Tuesday morning Um, they've had to pull Rothfire out of a jump out um, but they think it's just a minor injury and he should be okay Rothfire is set for the Everest and some of the other big races that'll be coming up, particularly in Sydney. So they'll be hoping that he makes a quick recovery. Um, And all of us fans as well will be hoping the same because we want to see the stars of the track out in the spring. All right. On the sports desk on Wednesday, every week we have an odd sport. And this week it is cannon hopping. This involves a little bunny jumping over a little hurdle, I believe. Do you guys want to talk a bit more about this? 
Yes. So, you know, previous weeks we've had extreme ironing, we've done toe wrestling, pumpkin paddling, all that sort of fun stuff. This has to be by far the cutest, most adorable, weird sport we have. It's essentially a mix between like dog show jumping or horse jumping, but instead it's just with little tiny adorable rabbits. It's just the best thing ever and I want to watch more now. It's so, so cute. And actually, funnily enough, I've actually watched Rabbit Show Jumping um, previously to us discussing this. So I consider myself a bit of a fan of the sport. Um, one thing, if you do get the chance to, to look up a video and, and watch some of the, the rabbit jumping or cannon hopping, as they call it, because it comes from Sweden, I believe, um, it's the, the rabbits can jump impressively high like you know obviously everyone knows that rabbits jump but your typical like rabbit pet um you don't see it jump this high that often and the agility of the athletes um just really impresses me yeah it is definitely quite an interesting sport it's so cute though from this picture i'm looking at right now but yeah i just wonder if it's like horse racing the same sort of thing like do these rabbits have the same sort of injuries with their jumping like do you have to be careful do you have to put them on some special training plan i just wonder what sort of work goes into this sort of sport you probably have to be careful with them you don't want them to jump from too high of a place and you know break their paw or something like that so you probably have to slowly and gradually get them to increase their jumping and um as I was reading here as well, apparently the trainers are very much encouraged to talk and give encouragement to the rabbits as they're training them and as they're uh, performing and going through the course. I think that's so adorable, just like egging your little rabbit on, like, come on, keep going, you're doing so well, you're doing so well as they're jumping over the hurdles. That's just so adorable. Yeah, but what if they're not doing well? I wonder what they're saying to them. No, you can't. You are not allowed to be mean to rabbits. You're not allowed. You're never allowed to yell at a rabbit ever. If it's not deciding to jump over the hurdle, you're just going to go, oh, that's so Well, no, here's a little carrot. Come on, jump over. Here's a banana. We're just going to tell it that you believe in it and it'll jump. Exactly. I think we need to get get a sports desk rabbit and start training it up. We need to invest in a show rabbit, I reckon. Yeah, can we have a pet rabbit just to have? The show's rabbit. Oh, we need to do that, please. (laughs) As soon as we're allowed to get back into our proper recording studios, we'll get a rabbit and we can do a training session after each show. All right, and that concludes this week's episode of The Sports Desk. You have been joined by Tom, April and Kendra. You can follow us on our socials, which is at Sports Desk Sin on Instagram, Facebook. That's it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, so we'll set a Snapchat up or something. We'll do something and get involved with everybody, you know. Yeah, we'll set a Snapchat up and we might even set a Twitter up. Yeah, exactly. So we can we make a TikTok things. for our rabbit jumping oh, as well. Yes, oh, that'd be awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, we'll be back next Wednesday.